0: Well, good evening, from cock-a-doodle-doo to Amazing Grace or vice versa. Good to be with you. Are you happy? Yeah. A little smoky out there, but happy. Yeah. Good. Good to be with you. Good to see you. Uh, this is my fourth week on a long run, got a few more after you, but it is always good to be here with you guys. We came from dismal Spain where it was nearly 100 degrees, <laughs> sunny. <laughs> I'm a Texan. You ever notice you you always want what you don't have? I mean, here I run from the sun. You guys run to the sun. We could always tell the British folks over there. They're out there. Number one, they're (laughs) cherry-faced. They're all sunburnt, and they're still trying to get out into the sun. Oh, well. Good to be with you. What do you do during times of sudden uncertainty? So many times in our lives we think things are going wonderful. They're going great. But how many of you have experienced, they don't always work out the way that we thought they were going to? And then unexpectedly, something happens. Something shocking happens. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a place where we're not too sure how we're going to handle things. It's a place that if we don't make the right decisions within that window of time, we could completely derail our lives. It's as as though events occur, and we're so shocked, we're almost paralyzed in the decision-making process. And it's at that time that in the spirit realm, wars are taking place. During these times of sudden uncertainty, there is a battle for your heart. How many of you know you always have two choices? You can either pull away from love during those difficult times, or you can press into love. But during the times that we feel so vulnerable, so numb, so stunned, it's difficult. There's a war where fear tries to derail you, to take you out of the path that you were created to live successfully. Fear says that shame and discouragement and anxiety are an option. When life's events are unexpected and you feel this stupor and the shock of what has just happened, at what someone has done, at this unexpected event in your life, pain rises, and during those moments of pain, we are critically vulnerable. Our future emotions, our spiritual health is waiting to attach our lives, excuse me, to attack our lives through our decisions. It's not as though that we're powerless, but who do you choose to partner with? It's as though we seem unaware of the impact of our decisions during these times. Choosing poorly is going to move us in a direction where we will leave our identity, where we will leave the path that God has called us to, where we'll begin to do things that we don't need to be doing, believing things that God really has not said during these suddenly critical times. Now, how many of you have experienced what I'm talking about? I'm not just spitting in the wind. It's real to you. You know what it's like to go numb because something has just happened in your life that you totally were unaware, unwaiting, not expecting, and it blindsides you. I want to use two examples tonight, and I want to talk to you just for a little bit about that. And the title of my talk is forgiving from the heart how many of you know sometimes you've heard people say forgive me sorry sorry forgive me and you know good and well it didn't really come from the heart all right I'm going to begin with one of our favorite of all bible characters Absalom let's hear it for Absalom (laughs) there you go You know, that's the same response most people have everywhere. I wish I had time, but I'm going to take just enough time to show you, hopefully by the time I'm through, that you'll have a cheer on for Absalom. And you'll realize not everything is as it seems. Do you know what the word Absalom means? It means literally my father is peace. That's a weird name, isn't it? Something happened in Absalom's life that caused him to completely leave his track, completely leave his track of destiny, completely leave his track of identity, of peace. And he lives in this absolute bitter chaos, murdering heart full of betrayal because of how he handled one situation earlier in his life during times of painful uncertainty. Let me set the stage. He's a younger man. He has an older brother named Amnon who seduces and rapes his own sister who happens to be Absalom's sister Tamar now now we need to remember that they all had one father it's David but they had multiple mothers so we're dealing with half sisters and half brothers throughout history have you ever noticed how dire consequences fall into families when families are consumed with resentment and bitterness Absalom goes to his father, David, tells him what has happened. The Bible says David gets very angry, but does absolutely nothing. He does not address this injustice in his own household. So Absalom takes upon himself to find justice, to create justice. So he murders his brother, Amnon. In fact, actually, he tells one of his servants to do it, which is the very family-esque thing you want to do. Don't do it yourself. Get one of your relatives to do it. (laughs) The only wound that carries more pain than a personal offense is a wound that is the result of someone hurting someone you love. Now, y'all remember, when I take a step back and I stop, it's not because I don't know what to say. It's because that was really, really important. You need to kind of take a bath in that. You need to remember it. The pain of taking up an offense on behalf of another is a critical Deep wound. So Absalom takes up an offense on behalf of his sister Tamar. Bitterness and contempt fills his heart. And, and, and bitterness begins to pour all through the family of Absalom. When bitterness is released into a family line, it begins to rot that family to the core. It destroys the peace and the joy and the hope. And Absalom then exiles himself from his family because he fears his father's repercussions, and he goes and lives under another king's kingdom. He just simply trades fathers. He trades kingdoms as he lives disconnected from his father. Finally, his father's personal assistant, the PA Job, gets involved and begins to get agitated for reconciliation. He coerces Dave to welcome Absalom back. And in that reception, King David forgives Absalom, He forgives him for murdering. But for the next 40 plus years, Absalom still has not found a place in his heart to forgive his father. Did you get that? 40 years? In 2 Samuel 15, it says that Absalom uh, assembles essentially this treasonous mutiny and rises up against his own father. He begins to judge The king, he sits at the gates of the city and he says, anyone who's willing to come to the city, there's nobody here that's going to give you justice. The king, my father, uh, I'm part of the royal family. I'll bring you justice. I'll stand here and I'll hear your case and I'll find favorably for you, but the king's not here. Now, Absalom has a chariot and 50 men to run before him. By the way, these are all things his dad gave him. So he looks like a representative of the king and he undermines the king. His bitterness continuing to rot inside of him over his judgment of his father. Are you listening okay? This is how I know that I have a bitter root at work in me. It's when I give myself permission to judge someone else, to present a case to others, to try to win their hearts to my case. If I hear words coming out of my mouth, judgments about other people, and I'm presenting them in such a way so as to set myself up as the victim, I have set myself up in such a way that I need to be rescued because of this bad person. If I've set myself up to judge because I perceive that someone has not treated me as they should, and I try to win support through my bitterness by representing the one that I am offended by, in certain light, and in doing so, defilement occurs. The result of this is the division. Look at the equation. Offended? Taking up another's offense? You share that offense with someone else, trying to persuade them to your way of seeing things? Defilement results, division occurs. Few of us would say that we're intentionally attempting to divide relationships. Few of us would say that we are actively attempting to divide family or friends. But what actually happens is we switch kingdoms. We choose to partner with another spirit, with an enemy spirit, not of the kingdom of heaven. And the fruit is that I justify my actions by placing our focus on the wrong uh, wrong another has done. When we don't allow mercy to disconnect us from our past, then bitterness comes in and divides. You need to smile louder. (laughs) What tool do you use to move forward, to get past your past? Do you use mercy or do you use justice, righteousness, and fairness? When we don't allow mercy to disconnect us from our past, then resentment and bitterness come in and divide. In Matthew 18... Jesus is talking to his disciples. Others are listening. He lays out this incredible scenario. He says, in the kingdom of heaven, there's this man who's in prison. He can't pay his taxes, his debts. Now, I don't know about you. I never have figured out what is the purpose of putting someone in prison who can't pay. Now, stop and think. Put your brain on. There's a big thing going on in the legal system in the States about reciprocity. Not putting these guys in a cage where we have to pay for them to live and watch CNN all day, in air condition. But rather put them out to work and take the monies that they're making from what they're working to make reparations for those that they've stolen or taken from. Now, doesn't that make sense to you? Oh well, not running for governor here. It's okay. <laughs> king extends mercy to this man in the scriptures. He says, you're forgiven one billion pounds. So the man does the happy dance and he goes down the street and he sees this guy who owes him 10 pounds and he takes him by the throat and begins to strangle him, telling him, I want my 10 pounds back. One of the king's servants sees it, runs back to the king and tells him, you know that guy you just let out? He's choking out people for 10 bucks. The message Bible, it says it this way. The king summoned the man and said, you evil servant, I forgave you your entire debt you, when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your servant as, who asked for mercy from you? It says the king was furious. <laughs> the message says he put the screws to the man until he paid back the entire debt. And that's exactly what my heavenly father, he says, is going to do to you if you don't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks you for mercy. Do you hear that? God put the screws to you. Most of the other translation says he'll turn you over to the tormentors. I mean, that actually seems worse. All right. Time for true confessions. Think about it for a moment without raising your hand. How many of you have walked in unforgiveness? Right. Right. Now you have the steady drip of toxins in your life. You're now on a poison trip that not only saturates your mind, but it'll also saturate your spirit and your body. Did you know that 80% of the people in hospitals today are in hospitals due to anxiety-related illnesses? Do you understand that the tormentors they access you through your partnership with fear and anxiety and punishment and it's in the midst of these situations that cause great pain there's two desires that rise up within us one desire is for justice the other desire is towards reconciliation and in the pain we feel numb many times to the voice of the spirit and that's where we make bad decisions A decision that would connect us to fear and anxiety. A decision that connects us to judgment. A judgment because it's just not fair. It's just not right. But the lurking result of judgment is it will have an ugly effect on the person who made it. It has an effect on your relationships, on your health, on your finances. And and it's just amazing working with people who are finally really ready to deal with their issues. They come to me for help. Did you know 99% of inner healing begins with the discovery and the ownership of who you need to forgive? Are y'all okay? Hmm. Okay. Who do you need to forgive? I mean, how can we stand as a representative of the king and his kingdom while we are festering with bitterness, while we have given ourselves permission to represent another kingdom with our resentment, all the while we have on our kingdom of heaven clothes? Hallelujah. Just like Absalom. Are you all getting this okay? Okay, that's my first example. Now let me flip-flop. Let me go to another example. That kind of gives us a a reality check of what could be going on inside of us. Let me give you a reality check of what God wants going on inside of us. In Genesis 42 through 45, Joseph, I like Joseph, he has this situation with his brothers. They've schemed to kill him. They intend to get rid of, it says, the favored one amongst them. Have you ever noticed how favor stirs up the kingdom of darkness? When there's someone in your midst who has favor, if you do not cultivate love, you will be taken prisoner. When you have favor in your midst, if you don't, as Danny Silk says, keep your love on, this favor will become a point of division for you. You'll become envious and greedy and punishing, and eventually you'll even desire to destroy them. You want to destroy the favored one. So Joseph finds himself in this very situation with his own family. His brothers are angry and jealous, so they decide to throw him into a pit. You know the story. But that wasn't good enough, so they decide to sell him to some slave merchants from Egypt. Now, if you haven't read that story, it's really a good read. Because of his favor, he climbs the ranks in the palace of Pharaoh. And he's now governor, overseer of all the food storehouses for Pharaoh. His brothers come to see him during a time of famine, seeking to buy some food for the family. They're vulnerable. They're vulnerable. Joseph is powerful. He has authority to punish them. He has authority to even end their lives, to destroy them. They come into Joseph's presence. They don't know it's Joseph, but he knew it was them. He remembers everything that they did to him. And all the while, they have no idea who they're dealing with. Joseph's entire court has no idea what his brothers did. Now, watch what Joseph does. If you're a note taker, you need to be writing this down. Joseph protects his offenders. With his mouth. He doesn't even speak anything to anybody. When he sees his brothers, he's choking back the tears. I mean, it's not because he's busted up over what they've done to him. It's because he's so busted up over being hopeful for reconciliation. He's hopeful that this thing is going to work out for good. The pain of his separation has been so intense, he has to go into another room to weep. And wisdom... He conducts a reconciliation. The brothers are standing in front of him. He finally reveals his identity. It's me, guys. Guys, it's me. I have to believe he called every one of them by name. It's your brother Joseph. Come here, take a look. And he welcomes those who caused great pain in his life. Joseph moves more than halfway the distance across the room towards his brothers. Now it's their turn. But the brothers haven't really repented. They're still in shock. Can't believe this is really Joseph. And in a very Christ like way, he moves all the way across the room and says, Come here. Now, Joseph's favor has brought him into a place, a room of power. He's powerful, but he uses his power to choose for mercy, not justice. He uses his power to love, not to despise. He uses his power to reconcile, not divide. He uses his power to bless, not to curse. He cherishes his brothers. The evidence that I have attached to mercy, the evidence of my forgiveness, is my willingness to bless and cherish the offender. This is the evidence that I have forgiven Unconditionally. When I have forgiven, mercy causes me to move towards another, not to run away from them. I hope you're getting this, not to hide. Mercy moves me towards another with honor, and this honor creates a place for reconciliation to happen. How many of you know that the family is such an excellent place to get hurt? I don't know why it's so prevalent. I don't know why it's so popular, but it is. It's popular to have offense with my own family. It's popular to be offended by people that you've chosen to have a relationship with. So when we look at the story of Joseph, we think, you know, I wish I could be like that. I mean, it seems so easy. I mean, Joseph is really so powerful on the spot. I mean... Why would you not forgive if you're the most powerful person around? But the amazing thing is a lot of us stay in unforgiveness because we have not found compassion. We don't get, to our, get our hearts to a place within mercy where we move to compassion. And we do that for basically one of three reasons. Let me journey you there briefly. We don't go to compassion because, number one, we're caught in the rightness and wrongness of the situation. I was done wrong. It's actually kind of a victim martyr mentality. They're the ones that really ought to have to make the steps. Or secondly, we don't get to compassion because we fail to remember where we've come from, how far God has brought us. And ultimately, we don't remember that God can restore all things. God restores all things. That's not a metaphor. He restores physically and mentally and spiritually. Sometimes we don't get to compassion because we fail to realize that hope gets extracted from us when terrible things happen. Whether it's abuse, whether somebody hurt you, whether your brothers threw you into a pit and sold you into slavery, what gets extracted by the resulting pain is this incredible amount of hope. And where hope is not present... Faith is not active. And when you lose your hope, you begin to forget the dream God has given you. Joseph had a dream. He had a dream that he would be incredibly powerful. That God has a future and a hope for him. And the world tried to take that away. A lot of you sitting here tonight have been given a dream. With innocence, within innocence... You have big dreams. Then bad things happen. Innocence dissipates. We begin to let those dreams go. We surrender our minds and our thoughts and our beliefs to unspoken things such as people are more powerful than God. We stop seeing God as a God in charge and we surrender to feelings of despair. Hope diminishes. And again, where hope is not present... Faith is not active. But we try to do the Christian thing. We try to forgive, I lay it at the foot of the cross. Hmm. And we go through the actions, but the truth is, until we actually believe, like Joseph did, that no one can steal something from me that God cannot replace. Did you get that? That no one gets to choose my life, that God ultimately has an answer for the situation I am in, until we believe like that. It's just actions. By the way, these are all statements of faith. A faith that is in action where where hope is present, where our conscious focus is not on the person, circumstance, or event, but upon the bigness and the faithfulness of God rather than the railing of men. I remember several years ago, Going through a terrible time. I remember sitting on my bed. I was angry. I felt I'd been robbed. I started talking to God, and God said this very clearly there is no restoration with a heart focused on justice. How many of you realize that's kind of a slap when you feel you're the one that's been done wrong? Because I had focused on justice and righteousness, I wanted revenge. By the way, revenge is just another name for the desire produced by a wounded heart that is focused on justice. I wanted revenge for what had happened to me. I felt ripped off. So I started to argue with God. Okay, God, where's the justice? And he started to show me and to bring peace that passes all understanding. Not a peace like walking around in some euphoria like nothing's wrong, but a peace that comes when we actually need it. I actually worked with God to get to a place where I understood the answer isn't retaliation. There is no comfort in retaliation. There's also no comfort in holding on to things. Because those things you hold on to will become bitterness and they'll eat your insides. So what do you do? I'd go on runs, walks day after day, asking God to take away the feelings of anger. Remember, if you keep knocking, the door's eventually going to open. And I kept knocking on the door, and I believed, and I found hope again. I found my dream again. Now, understand, the pain had not completely disappeared. I believed that my future was going to be what he said it was, regardless of the circumstances around me. Are you all okay with that? I was doing some counseling in Arizona. Had this 20-year-old kid in the office there because he'd lost his wife to an affair. When I asked him about his earliest childhood memories, he said his earliest memories were of his dad tying his brother to a tree and beating him with a rubber hose. And he couldn't feel anything except anger. And he had locked up this emotion. So I had him close his eyes and, and tell his dad in that moment, in that room, in that office, how he felt about that. How many of you know that one? very pretty? It wasn't a well, dad, <laughs> kumbaya. <laughs> I forgive you. What an awesome life. It was angry. It was vile. I encouraged him to tell the truth about what he really felt inside. Now, he's not hurting his dad. His dad's gone. He's telling me. And he eventually, he gets all of this out. It took a time. He was crying. He's saying things I'm not going to repeat. But there was about a 15-minute segment there that he poured out the depths of his heart. When all was done, when he was exhausted, I said to him, I want you to repeat this prayer after me, David. Holy Spirit, will you come and show me how you see my dad. Remember, this is a kid who just got through verbally abusing his dad without his dad knowing it. And now he's praying, please God, show me how you see my dad. I've done this hundreds of times since and it's always been a beauty to watch the Holy Spirit showed him. What the Holy Spirit showed him. I said, Dave, what do you see? And he said, the Holy Spirit showed me my dad as a baby, I said, What does that mean to you? He responded, My dad did not have the ability to take care of me. Now, that does not make what happened to his brother being tied, beaten with a hose, it does not make that right. But for a second, David stepped into his dad's shoes and saw him through God's eyes and felt compassion that God had for him. And from that place, from that place, what place? Compassion that's found within the middle of mercy. From that place, he started to forgive. How many of you know that's genuine? He was able to release his feelings. He was able to say, I hate you. Which he really didn't hate his dad. But that's what happens to suppressed emotions. They're difficult to articulate. They just explode when they come out. And at the end of that, he walked out of that office with an understanding and a desire for reconciliation with his dad. Now, he may never get to a safe place to where he can actually have that transaction with his dad. But when he realized that his dad had not stolen his future, when he realized his dad cannot control him, When he began to reclaim hope, then faith began to work. And when faith began to work, it reattached his dream and reattached his identity and his destiny. So tonight, guys, I want to encourage you. You have to get real for this to work. Otherwise, it's just another little talk. You file it away in in your uh, audio collection. You have to get real, and it begins with you taking an honest inventory, admitting where you have actually not forgiven someone. Secondly, you have to choose to believe that God is a God of redemption. No one can control you. God will restore. He is a God of redemption. And I would recommend, depending on where you're at, that you don't do this alone. But the biggest key is to get with God until you're fully convinced that he has a hope and a future for you. Remember the parable? The man that wanted his $10 back after being forgiven a billion dollars, even amidst the gift of mercy and forgiveness that he was given, he was unable to focus on the same mercy to release his past. Instead, even though he was a recipient of mercy, he was a dispenser of justice. And there is no justice in what you're holding back. It takes a lot of courage to decompress that which you have suppressed. So, you haven't been able to get real forgiveness that lasts. You will forgive. You'll feel okay for a while. Then something triggers the old pain. It all comes back. And the truth is it keeps coming back until it is fully processed. The other thing is this, you haven't fully anchored your identity with God until you're 100% convinced that he can turn every situation out for good. I've worked with people that have been stuck for 20, 30, 40 years. Sometimes it takes them six months, sometimes a day. Now, if you've been stuck for for 30 years and it still takes six months, don't you think it'd be worth it? God has an answer for you when you choose to forgive from the heart. Does that make sense? Let's stand to our feet. Let me pray for you. I want to encourage you. You might need to get with a trusted friend to help process some of this stuff. Someone who can give you grace and compassion. You know, because this is a message of forgiveness. And forgiveness is about relationships. I want us to reach out and put your arm around the person next to you. Hold a hand. We don't want to do this prayer alone. This is a great time for you singles that always wanted to meet that person beside you. (laughs) Lord, I pray that you'd unify us to be the body of Christ. To be what each other needs. Lord, I pray that you give us grace to see the offender through your eyes first. God, help us articulate how we feel. Then, Lord, we ask that you would come in and show us how you feel about them. Lord, that we wouldn't be afraid to be honest about the feelings we have. You come in and reconcile our feelings. Lord, I pray that you would release a grace on this room for people that have been stuck. For the people that have given up and resigned themselves, To their present lot of life. Lord, I pray that this week would be the beginning of a new progress towards freedom. Lord, remove anxiety. Remove hatred. God, I pray that those that have not dreamed before or have lost their ability to dream, to have hope, God, I ask that you restore the dreams, restore the hope. Lord, I ask that you would cause hope to come in. God, restore the hope in Jesus' name. Hope for relationships. Hope for a future. Father, I see all kinds of people whose inheritance has been held back, unable to get it. Gifts, dreams, hopes, blocked held back in prison because of anger and bitterness, not able to see them. So God, I ask that you cause us to be connected with you again, where we can actually hear your voice again. God, I ask that you cut through our own need for justice, for judgments, for fairness in such a powerful way. Fill this place with such a truth and assurance of love and grace and mercy. I pray for full restoration of that which has been lost. In Jesus' name. And all the people said? Yay and amen. Are you okay? All right, God bless you, Chris.